0: Hello and welcome to the Don't Call It Soccer Podcast. That's right, we're back. It's been a long time. Life had got in the way a little bit. World Cup, work, jobs, writing, all sorts of stuff. But yes, we're back on air and we're back with a blast. We have lots of things to discuss. The international break, of course, the United States playing two friendlies against Brazil and Mexico. The CONCACAF Nations League. Yeah, we're going to discuss that. Um uh, we're going to discuss young talents going mostly to Germany these days. What's up with that? And then an update on Major League Soccer and joining me to discuss this and this has been the man from day one pretty much, Jack. It's Jack Grimms. It's been so long. I feel like I have to reintroduce you. What have you been up to lately?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like you said Manu it has been a while. Um it was a a busy summer of world cup action and finally getting back into kind of a regular flow and for this club season even though major league soccer doesn't play on that calendar but it's good to be back
0: yeah it is good to be back and yeah it's it's been kind of weird um because i missed the junk of the the major league soccer season being at the world cup myself so um yeah it's it's good to be back in the flow um but jack we're not alone we used to do this just the two of us but, um, we brought in help and, uh, to join us. And Rudy, um, you have a very German sounding last name. So I'm just going to go with the German and, uh, go with Rudy, Rudy Rödiger. Um, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, floor
2: is yours. Who, who am I? Um, I'll give you the cliff note version. <laughs> so I'm actually an American, uh, with the German heritage, but, um, we kind of got to know each other when I traveled to Lithuania to become the first American to coach in the Entre Liga or in Lithuania period. Um, but I've spent a lot of time working in the American college game as a coach, a scout, a referee, administrator. Um, recently, I've come back to the U.S. where I'm working at a community, a two-year program college, won't uh, want to call it a community college per, per se, but uh, over the last five years, I've worked with players from like 40% of the Caribbean um, and a lot of different national team players from youth and senior levels, so the Nations League is very close to my heart. We'll get into that probably later, mm-hmm. but first and foremost, I'm a coach who's done some media work.
0: Yeah, man of all trades. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um boys so uh, i got two americans on the show and uh one with a german heritage and then a german canadian in me so but i have to i have to kind of give it to you guys first up so i was at the world cup and you guys were not there um, i not really a, a place for me to brag either because I was, of course, supporting <laughs> Germany. We didn't last very long either. So, um, but that's a different story for an entire different podcast. We have that podcast, but there I, let's, let's leave it over there. Um, two friendlies, the, the two high profile friendlies in, in many ways that the United States played. Um, mostly they are in friendlies right now because, um, there is no qualification process for them at the moment right um the world cup qualification process i believe doesn't start till next year unless you are in the conquer cup nations league and they're not in this stage of the conquer cup nations league we get into that as well so they have um, a lot of time to play friendlies and um jack that first friendly against brazil i i saw brazil quite a bit at the world cup a lot of people were saying look this is this country is going to win the world cup easily i wasn't so sure um, I saw a lot of issues with this Brazil side and um, I felt I was vindicated with those issues um, at the quarterfinal stage when they were taken out by Belgium. But this is still a very good side. And when you look at the, just the scoreline, you US did all right, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I think it was a really young American squad and I think they did really well to keep it to 2-0 against Brazil. Um, Brazil, you could see they weren't putting their foot on the gas at, at the end of the match or trying to step on the throat of the U.S., but um, they it was a really talented starting 11 um, with a front three of Firmino, Neymar, and Douglas Costa. So, <laughs> yeah, and a, and a really young U.S. squad. So I think from, from that game, there were a lot of positives. I think it was probably even a better performance than tonight's against Mexico, but um, really a lot of positives to take. From both games as a, as it was kind of an experimental squad. I guess I'll stop saying that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you can. I mean, the average age was 23.6 on that U.S. man's national team. It's very, very young. There's some very good young talented players on the side. I mean, I don't want to, um, don't talk the don't talk this team, but I mean, it is a team with not a lot of experience. Rudy, what did you take away from that first match?
2: I think Jack put it very well that it's that the difference in the, the teams from then and tonight was, was pretty big. I mean, you had a lot of players leave, um, but it's, it's such a interesting thing with an interim manager who hopefully, no offense to Dave Sarikin, won't be around in the near future, but he's had it for a long time and he comes bringing in and giving these players debuts and opportunities that the U.S. did well against Brazil, but. I don't feel like Brazil really wanted to be there. <laughs> you know, yeah. They really just were kind of in third gear the whole time. And that that really shows where the U.S. is at the moment. There's that big gap. You don't have leadership. And, you know, to be trailing at 2-0 at halftime, and then it was just kind of like a, a total friendly in that second half.
0: Yeah, five substitutions on each side. I, I feel um, that... Friendlies, when they descend into that substitution quackmire, (laughs) it's the game is pretty much done, right? And that's that's a real big downer on friendlies, I find. They usually have a very good first 45 minutes and then everyone realizes, oh, well, well, I have to play another friendly and then in 10, 10 days I have to go back to Europe to play Champions League and Bundesliga or La Liga or Serie A or Premier League. Um Better not getting hurt here. So you always see the first 45 minutes is a ride and the second 45 minutes is basically squad rotation, um, a little bit similar to hockey. Um So I guess the first 45 minutes then is really what we have to look at, isn't it, Rudy?
2: Yeah, it is. And I think the thing that really showed is, like, to me, Bobby Wood can't be the guy that carries us forward. Like, that's, we have an exciting, unique midfield. But we're pretty terrible up front still. Um, you know, as much as I don't care for Altidore, the scary thing is he's our best striker.
1: Would you agree with that, Jack? Yeah, I don't know. It seem it seems like there's not really a lot of talent up front at the forward position and mm-hmm. someone is going to have to emerge. That's what they were talking about on ESPN tonight yeah. at the of the broadcast of USA Mexico and yet yeah, Jesse's artists played as a lone number 9 today at first, then Bobby Wood came on. Mm-hmm. But Zardes, is whole, he is decent hold-up play, he's been smarter with his touches there, but I just don't really see any of the current crop of guys that the United States has being the being the forward or one of the forwards on the roster in
0: 2022. Josh Sargent, I mean, I I get to see him quite a bit over uh, in Germany, and uh, people really highly rate him, and um, I've yeah, been asked. He,
1: he just scored, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, like he did. Weekend.
0: Yeah, he did. And he was, he was, uh, he asked, um, Dexter to stay at home or stay over in Germany, right? Because he, he's working hard to make the first team there. Um, he lost half, half of a year because he moved over to Bremen, of course, and, um, wasn't able to play because, you know, FIFA, Eligibility rules, you know, if you're underaged, um, you're not allowed to move clubs, right? So he had to wait for his 18th birthday, which was pretty tough on him. So he's trying to get as many competitive games in as possible. And, and most of those competitive games right now at the moment are, and of course in, the, in Germany's fourth division where, where the Bremen play, but, um, Bremen rate him really highly. They, um, I've heard him even comparisons with Miroslav Klose. So that's. That's quite a high rating when you, when you're from that, that part of Germany.
1: Yeah, that I think that shouldn't be taken lightly. And it's good that he, he wants to stay over there, get those reps. It's a good level for him, but maybe seeing in the future, maybe two years down the line, I guess, seeing Josh Sargent and Timothy Weah, uh, Mm. up top for the US because Tim Weah looks a lot better as a, a forward or a secondary striker than out wide. Needs to play, of course, as well,
0: right? Uh, I know that yeah. Thomas Tuchel really, yeah. really likes him. So I think he's going to get this playing time. Um, and that's, I mean, that's maybe where we do the transition to, to tonight's game or by the time this podcast comes out, um, last night's game, Rudy, um, the Uni- United States and Mexico, that's a big rivalry. Um, I mean, people who will, we have a lot of listeners who are not American or not Canadian or not familiar with CONCACAF. Um, how big of a rivalry is it?
2: It's kind of what uh, both sides live for. You know, as the Americans have risen, it's been nipping at the Mexican heels. But it's, I mean, you could even hear it in the stadium that's in Tennessee. And you would think, oh, that's going to be a home field advantage for the U.S. It certainly was not. Every time Zach Steffen took a goal kick, um, wondering if the Mexico Federation is going to get in trouble again. (laughs) Uh, There's a
1: lot lot of goal kicks. I I kept hearing it.
2: Yeah. And but that, that just you know it goes down to the core. And I've got uh, some players that uh, are of Mexican descent. They're Americans, and guess who they root for? They don't. They don't root for the Americans. So it's it's there. It's definitely. I mean, houses are divided in America because of the the background. But it's the Mexico U.S. thing. It's massive. I mean, I don't know what I can compare it to in Europe. Mm-hmm. But they're the only two teams in Concacaf that really are year in and year out there. And so that's, you know, just rises the rivalry uh, mm. a lot. Yeah, I think and that's.
0: Especially. Re- it, sorry. No, you go, Jack. No, I, I
1: was going to s- say, especially as now that's going to be a thing, the Campeones Cup pitting the Liga MX yeah. champion <laughs> against MLS champion. I think that's an interesting competition because we don't always see direct competition between the two leagues. And. Obviously, Mexican teams dominated Conquer Cup Champions League.
0: Yeah, although this year, I mean, this was, um, during the time that we took the break, right? And, uh, Toronto came very close. Toronto knocked out all the top teams, all the Liga MX top teams and then. <laughs> fell to the weakest league mx yeah. team in the competition in the final <laughs> which was of course a, a huge disappointment i mean toronto have been probably fighting from that hangover the entire season um it's something that we can probably chat about when we get to the mls section of this podcast but um we all expected toronto by the time they got to the final because they they knocked out uh tigers and club america to get to the final so basically the two biggest hurdles right and then uh Play achiever side that has been basically struggling for the better part of a year. And that's where they fell. <laughs> so I, I think that MLS has gotten very close in terms of competitiveness. Um, of course, Mexicans, they're not going to like to hear that. Um, and I mean, we, we covered the, we covered the Liga MX quite extensively uh, on the football crowd network. And I, I've seen a little bit of a drop in Liga MXs, and I've seen a, um, a, a massive spike in performances in MLS. And I mean, when you look at the moment um this u s national team has not made um the World Cup, but there's a lot of very young talent that is maybe not quite there yet, but it really seems to get you know really seems to be that in the u s there's almost more talent at the moment than there is in mexico and then in at the world cup, um Mexico beat Germany, right um they did beat South Korea, which um must be expected. And then they never really showed up again at the tournament. And um, Osorio has since left. He's taken over the Paraguay role. Um, they, uh, really, like the US at the moment, are looking for a head coach. Uh, Tuca Ferretti has taken over the role for Mexico. He's doing both the Tigres head job and the Mexico job, which is, of course, difficult. They got beaten 4-1 by Uruguay going into this match. Um, so... Where are they at at the moment, Rudy, when it comes to the development and what does it show you when you look at CONCACAF as a region as a whole when the two powerhouses right now are completely in transition?
2: I think um, it's one of those things that Mexico, while they may not be producing as much, um, the, the young guy for tonight for Mexico, uh, he's better than probably anybody but Pulisic. Mm. Um and so, like, they're still producing these high-level, maybe not as many, yeah. but he gave the Americans tons of problems in the, in the first half. But, you know, going back to, like, the development of the U.S. and all these young players, it's funny because you got to give Jurgen Klinsmann some great credit for starting the development academies and really pushing that because we're talking 10, 11 years now, and what is Pulisic, 19? Mm-hmm. And you, you really look at Tim Weah and all these players and Josh Sargent was at a development academy, not tied to an MLS team. And all these players were getting the benefits of this youth development that went through. And so I think that's where really, you know, we had this giant gap that cost us the world cup, but I wasn't worried because you would talk about, um, Sargent McKinney, Pulisic and, um, um, Klinsmann's son and goal. I believe it was the Bundesliga that put out their top young players, and there was four Americans in it—like top young American young players to watch. And so I think that's the the very interesting thing as we talk about the growth of CONCACAF and and how the U.S. is really coming along. That we had a, we had a wave. We had all, and and when I talk to people and they complain about oh we missed the World Cup and oh we're so terrible and throw out the baby with the bathwater, <laughs> you might scoop off the top and get rid of the old players but you have so many like when were we were good um before the americans were in their prime playing in europe
0: yeah jack i feel like that's kind of music to my ears i was very critical (laughs) when when klinsman was fired because I, i i don't think he's um he's not a tactical mastermind he never will be but he's a builder you know. yeah
1: I think I think it's a shame that uh the events transpired kind of the way he, they did because if Klinsmann could have stayed on as a technical director maybe setting some of that stuff up behind the scenes and not having as much of a role with the first team even even if he is a good motivator you're right he's not a tactician mm-hmm. but um it's interesting and going going back to Rudy's point about Diego Linez on Mexico he had a fantastic game and Really is, is a player that I w- I want to watch going forward a lot for a Medica.
0: Yeah, he did some things where, uh, was it Pium Jatska who got floored? <laughs> no, that. no, Will Trap. Will Trap, uh, <laughs> yes. Still uh,
1: looking for his ankles.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm still trying to figure out what, uh, Linus did there. I think I would break both my ankles, uh, even <laughs> attempting that trick. Um, it, 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 yeah, he looks like a real talent. I know that there's a lot of teams tracking him closely he's only 18 he's very frail body i mean i looked up his uh stats he's only a meter 67 tall not sure what that's in feet five foot yeah five 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 not not tall um yeah yes, so was was referencing <laughs> yeah that's i did that was definitely Miaska when it was pretty funny yeah but um, I mean, that's the, you. You guys are right. I mean, that's a, a, an extraordinary talent. But um, in the end, it was another talent that scored the goal, right, Jack, I and mean, then Tyler Adams. And uh, this is a player um, who, I mean, this is pretty much an open secret. Is going to RB Leipzig in in January, right? So um, another. American talent heading over the pond um, to play in Germany, um, basically been called up, <laughs> let's say it that way, by Rangnick. Um, what did you make of him today?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. I think stamina by him late in the match on that run to score a goal. He was kind of the second runner into the box and got the ball from Anthony Robinson, who I think it. Not to get distracted from this, but I think it's good to see him called into the squad and offers more on on the left wing, if, especially if Yedlin's going to be used on the right. Um But yeah, anyways, back to Adams. Showing that stamina late in the match, getting into an intelligent position. It was his first goal for the United States, and it's not someone that you expect to score a goal. But it's, it's good to see him getting that reward, getting on the score sheet. And like you said, he probably will follow Jesse Marsh to Leipzig, at least after the MLS season.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I just wrote an, a, an in-depth article on him for Pro Soccer USA where I do cover the MLS for, right? And they've put me in charge of, of tracking all these, um, the North Americans abroad. They called it on top of my Vancouver white caps coverage. And it, it's, you know, it's pretty much, uh, I, I mean, it's not done until the, the guy holds up the shirt. Although in this case, he'll just take his, <laughs> he'll just swap out the Adidas for the Nike, right? Uh, <laughs> everything else stays the same. Um, he doesn't really have to get used to, to, to a huge different, to a hugely different environment. As you said, Jesse March is the assistant coach at RB Leipzig. And, um, of course, it's an interesting relationship because Ralf Rangnick is also the sporting director at the moment because they just, um, they're just basically working in an interim spaces until Julian Nagelsmann takes over, um, next season. So Jesse Marsh is a bit more often as an assistant coach because he runs a lot of the day-to-day things when Rangnick is, is trying to chase down transfers, um, including this one. So, um, I think he's going to walk into an environment that he's very used to. And I think, you know, judging from what I've seen, I've seen him, um, in Vancouver. I've seen a few games when I wrote this article, I had to, I had to watch a whole bunch of videos on him. Um, you says he's not, it's not expected that someone like him does score goals. But when you look at his runs, um, he's quite aggressive in his runs when it comes to going forward. And usually when he does score or when he does something spectacular and I don't think he does it often enough, it's, it kind of like you, 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 stand up in your seat and you're like, wow, what did he do there? Um, which is something that's quite rare, especially when you have, um, a deep lying defensive midfielder like that. Um, and that's that's something I found curious. I'm curious to th- hear what you think, Rudy, because, I mean, as a coach, as someone who watches players like that all the time, what, does, what stands out for you when you look at Tyler Adams?
2: Well, he is a fantastic talent. It's the funny thing because tonight at training my team, we worked on a pivot to midfielders. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of times where Tyler Adams shows that immaturity and he kind of lets people go because he knows he's athletic, because he's got the endurance, and he's not the safety first. He wants to go a little forward, and it was like McKinney's in- – I hope it's not a big in- injury, but if, if you didn't see the match, McKinney went off in the first half, mm-hmm. and there was no contact. He actually said – the sideline reporter said there was no contact, but he was concerned of his knee. Mm-hmm. So when he went off, it changed the shape because uh, Julian Green came in and, but, you know, they started a Costa, another number eight on the wing, on the right. And I think in that first half, Adams really was kind of sorting out because he was more playing on that right-hand side trapped behind him. Like, do I make those runs or do I sit a little bit more? Because a Costa was very ineffective. I mean, the two wide people basically didn't exist. You know, Timothy Wea was staying really wide and not getting involved in, Jack, do you remember how many times he mistouched the ball and it just rolled under his foot early in the match there? I was thinking the first 10 minutes he probably had three to just go out, but back back to you know Tyler Adams, he's got to get polished, and I think going to Europe is what he has to do, because he gets away with it in MLS as much as the league's mm-hmm. improved. He's just not challenged enough. And, and It's interesting, too, that
1: you bring that up about Weston McKinney, and I, I saw a tweet, I think, uh, Stephen Goff saying that it was a knee sprain so mm-hmm. hopefully it's not not more serious than that but yeah non-contact injury you do worry about that but with with McKinney and Adams playing next to each other people are always talking about how McKinney's the guy that goes forward and Adams kind of stays back as that safety valve. although tonight with Will Trapp sitting behind them neither of them were doing that but it would be interesting to see if Adams was given more freedom to go forward if he he does seem pretty intelligent if he could wind up in some of those um more dangerous positions for goals like that because it was an instinctive finish it wasn't shot from outside of the box placed into the corner um but it it was good
0: power and obviously enough to beat the goalkeeper I, I guess if there's any place in the world where he's going to learn that this with Ralf Rangnick and then um, Julian Nagelsmann I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, when you when you look at what Julian Nagelsmann has done with the young players in Hoffenheim, um, guided them two times to a top four finish in the Bundesliga, and we were saying the other day on on podcast, where would he, where would if Hoffenheim finish without him? Um, probably somewhere in the middle of of the pack in the Bundesliga, right? Uh, he's he's a fantastic coach who will get the optimum out of any player, and it will be really interesting to see how um Tyler Adams fits in there. Um, maybe to wrap. Up the, the Mexico game, guys. Um, is this, I mean, is this just, do you just take that one nil victory and you say, okay, great. We won. End of story. We beat our rivals. Or uh, is there something that you can really take away from this, Rudy?
2: I think, you know, it's one of those things. It feels good to win, mm-hmm. but the U.S. backs were against the wall in the first half, like entirely just defending the, def- And then they were getting outlets, people were standing, they weren't checking to. And if they weren't checking to, they weren't going forward. It was very pedestrian and kind of being just passengers on a bus instead of trying to drive it. And things started Mm -hmm. to really open up when there was a red card in the second half. You know, if that doesn't happen, this is probably a nil-nil or Mexico grabs a goal or two or three. And that's where you've got to look at is like, yeah, it feels good to win, but the performance was still not good from the U.S. Mm-hmm. in that first 45 minutes, and that game can turn on its head really fast. What yeah, do you I, would, I, would
1: have to, I would kind of have to echo that and say that I hope the scoreline doesn't kind of cloud the process or have, have people thinking, oh, the U.S. is okay because they beat Mexico and also it was only – a 2-0 loss to Brazil, you know, against a really good Brazil team because the, there were definitely problems and lack of structured build-up play. Uh, Zach, Zach Steffen was really good in goal, though, and yeah. should be the number one going forward for sure. But, uh, yeah, if Unheil Saltyford doesn't go in with two feet on Will Trap, then it's it's going to be a different game.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and all, I mean, also... Uh you mentioned earlier Mexico lost four one to Uruguay mm. on Friday and only one of those players I think um who was it Edson, Edson Alvarez, I think, was the only player that remained from that starting eleven, so it was a total a totally a changed team for Mexico.
0: That's a good summary, guys. I guess we'll just move on here to um something completely new. And, uh, those European listeners that are listening in the CONCACAF Nations League. Um, yeah, that's the, uh, I guess the copy of the UEFA Nations League. It's a little bit of a different setup altogether. Um. The reason why we're bringing this up is because, uh, Canada played in this, um, tournament for the first time. Um, they were facing the U.S. Virgin Islands. I have to absolutely lie. Uh, if I would say I know anything about them, I know that Canada absolutely trashed them. Um, a fantastic eight 0 victory. Um, lots of goals, which, um, sounds about right. Um, but this is Canada we're talking about. And we're getting into some of the good things that are happening with Canadian soccer in a moment because there's lots of good things happening but uh rudy <laughs> i feel like i have to go <laughs> to you with this uh you uh conquer cuff nations league and um the many 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 caribbean islands that seem to be playing in it um because yeah. i'm counting 34 countries um and pretty sure canada is one of the few that's not a caribbean island
2: yeah and this opening round it's you know, I, if if my summary on what this Nations League does, it's so important to these small countries because I've got, you know, like 10 players I've worked with who have been capped at the youth or senior level for the British Virgin Islands, you know, the neighbors to the U.S. And they're a country of 24,000 people, roughly. Mm-hmm. The last time they played was in the uh, uh, Caribbean Cup in 2016, before this summer. And because it's... I think they played only in official competitions they were never playing friendlies um you talk about the finances for these small countries and being able to put on a training camp and whatnot and by the way all the players i worked with are either youth or collegiate players none of them were professionals for the british virgin islands and i think that's what we're going to get talking here with the the u.s virgin islands You're talking about the same thing, amateurs, college players that don't have the experience. So them being able to get into camp, I know the Bahamas this summer had like a two month training camp and they brought in something like 40 players to really work and do this kind of thing to prepare for the Nations League. So it's going to help rise the level overall because you're getting these people in, training them, working on them, going to play other teams. Uh, the British Virgin Islands went to, the, to England and played some some friendlies in their preparation over the summer. So like that was not happening before when my players got called up in 2016 out of actually college spring semester, they go over, they had like three days, played a match, had a day off, played another match, came home. They yeah. weren't even gone a week. and so that kind of preparation doesn't do anything for the, the those small nations who need it because, You know, they're, they're utilizing the college game in the U S for the really small countries. Uh, I'm at a school right now and we're struggling and I've got five players that have been capped at youth and senior level at various Caribbean countries. One of them was actually late to our preseason because he was with, um, Dominica Mm -hmm. for their preparation. He didn't, did not get called into the game over the weekend, thankfully for us. Um, but I would have released him. Um, so so that's kind of the the crux behind all of it it's really beneficial it's going to be huge for finding more of these talents because the caribbean and africa in my opinion are the two final frontiers of finding talent
0: mm. it's it's not just for them either though rudy i mean we look at canada um for canada when they go out and they usually do unfortunately go out before the hex starts you know the final world cup qualification group which is which is a big tournament in in concacaf and an important part to really grow as a country, and Canada hasn't been in that in, in quite some time. And for them to get those games is really important because it kind of closes the gap between two World Cup qualification cycles, doesn't it? Where you can basically just play competitive. Yes, they just went to the U.S. Virgin Islands and beat them up eight nil, but um, if they finish in the top, um, the top is it the top six? yeah top 6 brackets of the the current qualification circle they will be placed in league a um, of the of the CONCACAF league so what we're looking at right now is basically they don't have a coefficient standing like they did in europe so the smaller countries that ones that did not make the hex they're currently trying to get placement right this is the stage that we are at right now and um once they are in a placed um for someone like canada to be placed in league a which i th- which is i think is the expectation, so even league b that's an additional two to three games between World Cup cycles, which is really important for them. So yes, we're laughing a little bit that they're going off to U.S. Virgin Islands and absolutely destroy them. Um, I mean, this, this has to be the expectations to a certain extent. But for Canada right now, it's, it's really key because Canada is, is similar to what's going on in the United States. There's a bit of a golden generation coming up. Because of the, what, what they're doing in Toronto, what they're doing in Vancouver, what they're doing in Montreal. Um, a lot of young players. I mean, we just saw Alfonso Davis going to Bayern, right? Um, the biggest transfer in outgoing transfer in MLS history. Once, once he's hit all his bonuses. Um, we have a young kid with the name of Liam Miller play for Liverpool at the moment. Uh, Jonathan David, a player that no one really heard of until he started tearing up the, the league in Belgium. Um, another striker, Kyle Laren, of course, right? Um, there's a lot of good talent coming through, through, um, the ranks. And, um, on top of that, you have the Canadian Premier League coming in next year, right? Which will open the door to even more talent. So for a country like that, it's really important. And it's not just Canada. I mean, we're looking at places like Nicaragua, Nicaragua, El Salvador, um, some of the bigger Central American countries that have a hard time going into the hex as well. For them, this is really important as well, isn't it?
2: Uh, that's a very good point. And, and this first stage is a bit challenging. Well, I mean, we'll get into the, that. But it is so important that these countries are able to play and you get more opportunities because North America, Central America, and the Caribbean is behind the rest of the world where the game started so much more organically.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. And I mean, um, I, I'm really curious. I think that what we're all waiting sort of is that next stage, right? Um, Canada has a couple more games in, in this tournament um, really think that they're going to Breeze they're playing Dominica next uh, what do you ex- What can we expect from Dominica um, considering that you have a guy who's actually plays for them uh, Dominica
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dominica because <laughs> they actually said it on the broadcast I heard the CONCACAF <laughs> broadcast and I like, um, <laughs> was like so the thing about Dominica has been since they've been kind of, they've been going through a growth. And um, Fitzjolly's his name, believe it or not. Um, I always tell him it's uh, he's going to be a great Christmas song. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they they've not won matches, but they've not lost, and just has gone back for for their friendlies recently. So it's going to be interesting because Canada lined up against the U.S. Virgin Islands in a two five three formation. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, like, will they do that against Dominica? That'll be the question, or there'll be a little bit more of a seriousness. Because Dominica's got some players that are going to be, you know, more on the professional side. Um, You know, my player's quite, quite good. And, you know, he's not gotten a sniff at an actual senior cap yet. He's been capped at the youth levels but he gets called in and he sits on the bench and you know, there he's a defensive mid. So here's a team that's not winning and they're looking to get wins. So he's not getting brought on. So, but it'll be interesting to see how Dominica lines up in that um, against Canada. But I would say you're probably looking at with the likes of, you know, Laren and Davies and, you know, junior Hoylet and and go on and on and on uh, Jonathan North Osorio as well. Mm -hmm. You gotta consider there's probably going to be, you know, three or four goals in that game for Canada.
0: Yeah. This is possibly the biggest, um, the, the, the most depth I've ever seen a Canadian national team my entire life. I mean, um, they, every single player we, they used to call out players that didn't even have where they weren't even attached to, to clubs when I first, yep. when I, you know, first started uh, following Canadian football as a kid. Um, and now every single one of them plays at least MLS. And as I said, I mean um boyan is now now playing in Champions League with Red Star, right? Um there's a young keeper, um Alessandro Busti who plays who is a backup at Juventus. Um there's just so much talent coming through. There there's a young kid playing for Barcelona. Um he was uh sold by Montreal Impact. So there's so much going on. And then of course Davies is he's he's just um he, it's been sort of an avalanche with his transfer Um just at the time when the Canadian Premier League is being sort of ramped up, right? I mean, we have now um seven franchises confirmed in the Canadian Premier League. They're hoping for eight. Um The the town that I live in, in Canada, when I'm not over in Europe, uh, Victoria, BC, we're actually getting a team in Pacific FC run by Rob Friend and Josh Simpson. And I've talked to them quite a bit. And they've really been, been saying this is, this is really about Canada getting into the 2026 World Cup or getting into the 2020 World Cup, even, even just by growing that talent base even more, because they were saying both Rob Friend and Josh Simpson, for them, the big problem was not that there wasn't any talent. And I mean, when I played here in high school, um, there was lots of really talented players, but they all at around 15, 16 had to make a decision. Um, am I going to go to university? Or I'm going to take that big risk to go to Europe and play there. Or even bigger risk and go to a college in the United States. If you have a professional league, that changes the entire game plan. Um, because all of a sudden, there's eight more clubs that open the door. And I mean, Jack, you were old enough to remember MLS, right? When it first came in, that league was a game changer for U.S. soccer in many ways.
1: Yeah, I mean that the MLS, the existence of MLS or the creation of MLS, sorry, was the contingency that um, what was it the 1994 World Cup yeah. hinged on. So, you know, the United States creating that professional league after, and 20 years on, we're just seeing kind of really the the impact of what MLS can do for the national team. So, I think you're right; it's going to be huge for Canada both now and in 2026. But if we look back to the Owen Hargreaves transfer to Bayern Munich when he was a teenager from, from Canada, um, there were no clubs that were there, you know, early 2000s. So that's something with, with Alfonso Davies, he's been able to benefit from that. And just, it, I don't know, the game continues to grow there, but to... Finish in the top five in the Concacaf Nations League qualifying and qualify for for League A and next year's Gold Cup, obviously.
0: Mm.
1: That's step one, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, good that you're speaking about Afonso Davis, and we, we kind of touched on this topic already. Um, lots of young North American players heading to Germany. What's up with that, guys? Uh, I mean, I, I I'm German, and I know we like to play young players, but what makes the Bundesliga such a, an attractive league for Alfonso Davies, Weston McKinney, Kristen Polizic, Tyler Adams. Now, I mean, uh, you said it earlier, Rudy, this, there was four players, US players. And I guess next year it's going to be four plus one Canadian in that youth, in that uh, the best young talent. Uh, why is that?
2: Like, why is, it, why is Germany picking them up or uh, how's that? How do you want that question answered? Because. There's several different ways, and I think these players are seeing it's great if you go and sign for, you know, AC Milan or Real Madrid or whoever, but if you don't play, uh, what was the Norwegian kid that's disappeared off the face of the earth? Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, do you want to be him? Um, Get a nice announcement and then disappear into oblivion, or do you want to be a Pulisic who gets a chance and through the chances gets opportunity and s- sticks it. And then you got what you see those players. And obviously if you get one player doing it, those guys know each other. They came up through the youth ranks together and they're going to say, Oh, I'm getting a great opportunity. And it just trickles down. And once you get those connections, you know, scouting, you make networks, you make opportunity through connections. So team gets players and it kind of, you develop those hot, hotbeds, uh, the honey hole, I like to call them.
0: <clears throat>
1: um, I'm curious, now we see Alfonso Davies going over, obviously that'll provide kind of a link maybe for more Canadians to the Bundesliga, but I'm curious to see if more come up from Liga Amequis as well, because with Chuki Lozano going to PSV and uh, Guti following him as well, um, from Pachuca to PSV, um, what on August 30th I think yeah uh, right right before the deadline but um, if more young Mexicans are going to the Edivisie or or if they will make it over to Bundesliga
0: as well. well. Diego Linus has been heavily linked with a move to RB Leipzig right and that would be a typical RB Leipzig transfer um, get them yeah, Yeah
1: and, and probably a lot better of a price than Adam Luckman who they kept trying to go back for but I don't know <laughs>
0: I think that any player that they're bringing in now will be a better deal than Adam Ola for 30 million euros. <laughs> um, it's, I think that Tyler Adams, uh, I mean, there will be a transfer sum paid. Um, five million, around five million euros, um, is the word on the street, but it's really just going from one RB pocket to the water, other one, right? <laughs> it's like Red Bull is handing in out money to one subsidiary company to another. Um, so I think any deal like that is better. But I mean, you see, you see Bayern Munich, for example, have a development deal of FC Dallas, right? And I think what's, what's really interesting with that is you, what you see in MLS, I always say one of the things that MLS struggles with still when I cover the White caps games, I see that quite often, and this is something I notice about Tyler Adams tactically, it's not there. Um, mm-hmm. the player intelligence, the decision making isn't quite there, and then you have someone like Alfonso Davies um, who picks up on that and runs through five defenders because simply they the positioning isn't a hundred percent. but one thing that you know do notice and um, when it comes to athleticism. MLS is, is up there with any league in Europe. And I think the Bundesliga together with the Premier League is probably the most athletic league. And I think clubs in the Bundesliga, they say that, okay, when we bring in these American kids, um, English is not going to be an issue, right? They can communicate in English and they, they all tend to pick up German quite quickly. Um, so we just have to basically teach them where to play on the field. That's about it. So I think that athleticism aspect is a really big part in why Bundesliga teams go for American players. Because, I mean, Rudy, you working with young players. That is one of the biggest strengths of American sports, period.
2: It, it is. And I was actually going to say, I heard a technical director and a scout um, talk, and I can't remember the club, but they were saying that, The North American players, the American players, are actually advanced technically and physically over a lot of Europeans when they're, say, 15. Mm -hmm. It's the tactical thing that they're so far behind. And I see it in college. It is, is unbelievable that kids in America are just so tactically inept and other places as well getting them to understand when they pinch in when the ball's on the other side, let alone being a defensive mid. And it's it's incredible to, you know, people say, oh, they're in college. They should be able to do that. You would hope so, but they're not being taught that stuff. And it's it's flabbergasting to, to think, um, you know, and kind of going back to the Canadian thing, this is how far things can go less than eight years ago. Canada was calling up people from like the second division in Sweden, you know, and now you've got a guy going to Bayern Munich. So things can change so quickly in, in lieu of player development. And so when players go to Germany and they are in those environments where they're, they know what zone 14 is Mm -hmm. like, I have not heard an American coach talk about zone 14, which by the way is where the majority of goals get scored. It's right outside the 18 yard box. So, um, those are things that when players aren't taught those things and, you know, Americans love to win on athleticism. You know, it's why Giannis Artis was a thorn in my side for years because he had a touch of a tree. Hmm. Um, but he could run really fast and he's six foot three. And so he was probably picked and, you know, his, his youth team probably won a bunch. But, you know, American coaches tend to forget about winning ultimately instead of winning today. Hmm.
0: I find that's a fascinating point. And I think that's why, and I want to transition this over to MLS and our final topic, but I think that's why someone like Julian Gressel, um, who played in Germany his, his entire youth career, right? Um, Played fourth division in Germany before he decided to go for college because he didn't make the grade at, at Greuther Fürth, um, a second division team over there. And then he came over here And once he picked up his athleticism, he basically walked into this Atlanta United side and was the, was tactically the most important player that they have and still is. He seems to be in his decision making so much far ahead of anyone, right? And Tata Martino absolutely loves him. And it's really maybe that is, is that a difference right there? Jack, do you think? Is that really that a kid like that who's grown up in the environment? He's, he's, he's talking a recent interview that there was a football pitch right across from where he grew up. His entire family plays football. He'd gone through the academy system in Germany. That for that, for him, that's just second nature. And maybe that is just still really the, the separate, the, this thing that separates the two, two when it comes to youth development.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's still a little bit of a culture thing, you know, that soccer's not going to be the top sport in the United States anytime soon. It's it's growing, but it still has a long way to grow before there's just somewhere you can walk over anywhere and, and play a game.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, 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 the other thing, though, um, and maybe to add to this, you're talking about tactical awareness, but the biggest pastime, one of the two biggest pastimes in the U.S. is American football. That's all about tactical awareness. How come players cannot kind of make the crossover.
2: (laughs) Can I say on that? um, (laughs) It's it's quite hilarious that you bring that up uh, because I'm in my first year at my school and we're going through a giant rebuild. I returned four players and had three months to basically put together a squad. Um, I took an American football player on a opportunity, you know, Mm -hmm. squad player, and he started his first two games. Mind you, he has no technical ability, love the kid to death, but he's out there like picking up things and he'll notice exactly where I want people on corner kicks and free kicks because he pays attention and he's got that training played at a super high level in American football through high school who does film and does all this stuff. And we do film, Mm -hmm. but not everybody does film and he's picking up things. He asks the questions and my soccer players who have grown up playing the game have no clue in the same thing that this guy who's played soccer for two weeks has already picked up and he scored a goal in his second game because he puts himself in the position and if he had the technical ability he would have scored a hat trick i'm not even kidding (laughs) and it's just like this kid if i if he stays with me for two years of my school who knows what he turns out to be so it definitely could translate and you know picking up things actually i i I listen to film sessions and I watch uh, our football team at my school, which is one of the top producers of NFL talent in the country for junior college. I go to their, their sessions to listen and how they coach because it's an interesting, weird thing to pick up from a, that such a sport because they are so driven on, you know, they have their own special language Mm -hmm. of everything. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? But that, that I think, needs to be transitioned. We like American coaches need to be gleaning those kind of things, um, from our counterparts. Yeah.
1: I, find... I think,
2: I think, yeah, sorry.
1: Go for it, Jack. No, go going on that. There just need to be more American coaches in general and coaching education is still something that, that can come a long way in this country.
2: Hmm. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I, I find that fascinating. I, I, I feel like we, we can probably at one point, uh, just invite someone to, to, to talk about this, um, this crossover, because I feel like there is some top athletic coaching in the United States and here in Canada as well. I mean, with hockey as well, so much is about game awareness, et cetera. And I guess that's really, you guys really nailed it down. It's really I don't, the, the, the coaching, the history of coaching isn't quite there yet. Right. So. Um, fascinating. And I mean, I see this all the time when I go to press conferences at MLS games and, um, to, to, to transition it over to, to where we are with MLS. Um, I talked to you, told you this before, Jack. I always find it really interesting listening to the different coaches and the analysis that they provide after a match. And, um, it's, there's not many coaches that can give a clear cut analysis uh, without throwing anyone under the bus at the moment but I don't often find that I hear someone really explain to me what went right and what went wrong and I find if someone can't explain to it how are they going to be able to explain that to their players and one of those coaches um is of course Brian Schmetzer who is one of the most tactical and uh, uh, has one of the biggest tactical ability in MLS um I really enjoy listening to his his uh, press conferences and of course I get to this weekend, because they're playing the white caps. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a preview, but to make that jump, Siggy Schmidt, his former boss, um, has he been sacked jack or did he was this a mutual termination? Um, because I'm hearing two or three different things coming out of there. And how will this impact the U.S. man's national team job? And maybe to, to finish this off, how will this impact LA Galaxy?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know because the, the Galaxy kind of are fading out of that playoff picture. Where as the Sounders, I think, who are sixth, mm-hmm. have just been surging since the summer, and um, the Whitecaps seventh. So you're going to you're going to see a good game that has big implications this weekend. But the Galaxy, I I don't really know what's going on there. I don't know if he he was fired or decided it was time to go.
0: Yeah, there was a um, big question mark over the the way the squad was put together, right? Because they brought in Slatan Ibrahimovic, but no defenders.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I'm I'm hearing he might go to Pyramids sea in Egypt for a hundred million dollars a year, something like something crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I believe it when it happens. Um... <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's ridiculous, but I think that one of the things that's bad for LA is they're in a very weak Western Conference. You know, if you consider the standings for the Supporters' Shield, like mm. six of the top eight teams are from the East. <laughs> so uh, that's a big issue of them sliding down the table of a very weak Western Conference. If they don't make the playoffs and you brought in Zlatan and you're losing L.A. to your new rivals, uh, the Dark Knights of Los Angeles FC, yeah. then I, I can see where that might be been like, Sure, we mutually parted that way we don't have to pay him, but it could have been a force him out kind of a deal.
0: I'm not sure if it's really that conference is that much weaker though, Rudy. And you have to remember the teams out west to do a lot more traveling. Um, and I find that the teams are just more even. So you, you see them, you see them drop points a lot more often. But the white caps, for example, had the best, um, road record in MLS going into the season over the last three or four years, despite um, putting together the most kilometers traveled or miles, I guess, if you were down South. Um, so I'm not <laughs> sure if it's a weakness. Um, it's just that it is, it's a bizarre difference between the two conferences in a way.
2: There is, but do you think Minnesota United, Houston Dynamo, Colorado Rapids and San Jose earthquakes are anything compared to Toronto, DC, Orlando or Chicago?
0: Yeah, but Toronto and the Chicago are just so weird. At the moment, I'm not sure if that's actual weakness or just, um, I mean, Toronto have probably suffering from the biggest hangover in the history of football. Um, yeah, and I, I think DC
2: United are going to make the playoffs still. They've well, seven, seven straight home games coming up. You're yeah. making my point because those are the bottom East teams, and you're telling me they're actually good. <laughs> Where the, those Western teams, would you say Minnesota United has a chance to make the playoffs?
0: No, I mean, okay. uh, I, I'm just, I'm just looking at the, uh, the, I like using, 538 and they're saying less than 1%, <laughs> which is a also actually what's really interesting is that they're having Seattle down as, uh, making the playoffs, a 91% chance of making the playoffs, even though they're only a couple points ahead of the white caps who have a 30% chance of making the playoffs. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is an odd phenomenon. Um, and I, you, I think you're quite right. I mean, you look at the likes of Atlanta United and Toronto and New York City and, um, Chicago, even, you know, we're not doing very well this year either. Those big clubs are all out east, but I mean, LAFC have put together quite a good side. And at the same time, I mean, I've seen Columbus and Philadelphia. Uh they're making the playoffs and um I've seen them come here to Vancouver and they're not very good. So <laughs> <laughs> uh I think for them they're just hugely benefiting from the fact that uh, you know, for for us the closest away game in Vancouver is, is Seattle and then even Portland and then after that it's you know the, the climate differences are enormous on the West Coast. Whereas these guys they're playing they, they I mean they, they all their trips are like an hour flight, right?
2: yeah but i think the climate's an interesting thing too on on the east it's not so much altitude as far as temperature Mm -hmm. change because if you go to atlanta from toronto that's a that's a pretty drastic thing um speaking of from living in georgia for three years not as north as atlanta but we would see 90 degrees in october um so I don't know what that would be. In it's for, hot. For, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> um, so that, it's an interesting thing in the MLS. I mean, we of the challenges that, that are there. But um, I, I just think that the, the East is probably going to see, you know, real struggles this year, um, that the finals probably going to be the semifinals of the West is, is kind of the way I – or I'm sorry, the other way around. Mm. The East is probably going to be the, the final – the semifinal going to be there if it's – red bulls in atlanta or new york city and and i think atlanta is going to be there in the semifinals if not the final Mm -hmm. final
0: i mean i'd be shocked if atlanta doesn't win the entire thing um of course the playoffs make it so tricky um i i love the playoff model i think a lot of european leagues should be looking at it but uh, i mean they have a they have, um, a 59% chance of winning the supporter shield for the team with the most points in a league, right? Overall. Um, and that's, that's a big, big plus to the 36% chance that the New York Red Bulls have. But then they only have a 26% chance of actually winning the MLS Cup despite being the most dominant team in the league. And I, I think that for me personally, Maybe to, before we wrap this up, I, I think when I look at this, um, this in particular, the way MLS is set up, there's a, uh, there's a lot of things that I, I I like to criticize about MLS and Jack, we've talked about promotion and relegation. You know that I'm a big advocate of it. But when you look at the fact that we basically, uh, will not know who's going to win the title at the end of the season. And I look at most European leagues and it's basically, I can tell you basically who's going to win the the, the four top leagues. It's going to be City, Bayern, Juventus, uh, and Real Madrid or Barcelona, likely Barcelona, right? So where's the fun in that? Um, yeah, you already know that in
1: mid September.
0: Yeah, exactly. Don't forget, don't forget PSG. Oh yeah. Sorry. I forgot PSG. Um, the most obvious one. So five out of five. Um, and that's, that's not great. I mean, and we even get that in Champions League now that I can probably tell you the three semifinal. I like, can you tell you three out of the four semifinalists. Good, Bayern, Real Madrid, um, Barcelona and some surprise team. And no one wants that. So I think it's kind of great that the league is, is breaking it apart, uh, in, in that kind of two competitions and that a side like Atlanta that plays such wonderful football, we have no idea if they're going to lift the trophy in December. But boys, um, have to kind of wrap it up here. We had we covered a lot. it's um, Glad to be back in action with this podcast. We're gonna be back to discuss the MLS and the playoff race in more detail, hopefully next week. But until then, Rudy, um, where can people find you
2: on social media at Rude Sports? That's with two U's, R U U D Sports. Uh, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, they can find me there.
0: Jack, how about you?
1: Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter at Jack Grimsey, J-A-C-K-G-R-I-M-S-E.
0: Fantastic stuff, yeah. And I've been your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me on Twitter at Manuel Weff. Um, you can find this podcast, all the other podcasts, lots of articles, not just on MLS and North American soccer, but really football from all over the world at Football Grad Live. Well, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>